American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about the only person to be buried in the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Heart in Denver, Colorado. It's not a bishop or a priest or even a religious brother or sister. It's Julia Greeley, a woman born into slavery in Missouri who dedicated her life to caring for others. This is one of those stories that really makes you look at your own life and wonder, what am I doing with my life? She was so utterly selfless and so eager to give. I mean, truly. So where did she come from? Well, Julia Greeley was born into slavery, like you said, in Hannibal, Missouri, sometime in the 1830s or 40s. Since she was a slave, a careful record wasn't kept. She and her mother were owned by a cruel man. And one day, when she was five, when her mother was being whipped, the whip caught Julia's right eye, destroying it. It was never treated properly. In January of 1865, three months before General Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse, effectively ending the Civil War, the state of Missouri outlawed slavery, and Julia Greeley, who was in her 20s or 30s at that time, was a free woman. Now, Missouri had to pass a law freeing slaves because Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 only applied to the states that were in rebellion. Missouri was still part of the Union. Right. So once she was free, she took on work as a housekeeper, maid, and a nanny for a St. Louis doctor whose wife was from one of the wealthiest families in St. Louis. In 1878, Julia decided to move to Denver to serve in a similar role for the doctor's sister-in-law, Julia Gilpin, the devout Catholic wife of the first governor of the Colorado Territory. She worked in their home in Denver, scrubbing and cooking and taking care of the children, and she had a small apartment of her own. But from early on in Denver, her heart was with the poor, the children, and all those in need. By day, she would work for the Gilpins, but as she was out and about, she would use her earnings to help the poor and needy. In 1880, Julia became Catholic at Sacred Heart Church in Denver, in part due to the influence of Mrs. Gilpin. She became a daily communicant and fasted daily until noon. When asked why she never ate breakfast, she said that communion was her breakfast. And she was deeply devoted to the parish's patron, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. She saw in it the deep wells of mercy and love and desired to share that devotion. Every first Friday, which is traditionally the day of devotion to the Sacred Heart, she would walk all over Denver to deliver Sacred Heart pamphlets and other Catholic material to all the firehouses in the city. Right. She knew that firefighters had a very dangerous job and many of them were from poor Catholic families. So she wanted to make sure that they had the spiritual comfort and strength that they needed in case they died in the line of duty. The Jesuits at Sacred Heart Parish regarded her as the most zealous promoter of devotion to the Sacred Heart in the parish. But she didn't give the pamphlets just to the Catholics. She would share her love of the Sacred Heart with everyone because, as she said simply, they are all God's children. When the Gilpins' marriage broke up, Julia left their service and moved around a bit, living for a time in Wyoming and New Mexico, making money by taking odd jobs, cleaning, and cooking. Eventually, she settled back in Denver and devoted herself to the care of the poor. She used her meager earnings, she was only making about 10 to $12 per month, to provide for families who had nothing. When she didn't have enough of her own money to provide for others' needs, she would beg for what they needed. She was known all over Denver by people of all faiths and all walks of life by two things, 
a little red wagon which she was always pulling behind her with the stuff she had to deliver, whether it was food, coal, religious pamphlets, toys that she would repair to give to kids, clothes, whatever, and a big floppy hat that she always wore. She was also recognizable because she was frequently dabbing with a handkerchief at her bad eye, which was never treated properly. Right. It stayed mostly closed, but it would ooze, so she would dab at it. But despite her ragged appearance, she was one of the most loved people in Denver. Some people called her a one-person St. Vincent de Paul Society. She was welcome in all homes of the parish. She was known in all convents in town. And the rectory kitchen at Sacred Heart was always available to her to come in for a meal. In 1901, she became a third-order Franciscan at the parish of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. St. Elizabeth of Hungary in 1901, which probably means she knew Father Leo Heinrichs, the Franciscan priest who was assigned to St. Elizabeth in 1907. He also was well-known for giving out food and clothing to the poor, and of course he was shot and killed in the middle of Mass in early 1908. We talked about him in episode 25. Right, so there's a good chance that they knew each other since she got to know most everyone, especially everyone who was also interested in helping the poor. And it is amazing how many times the lives of these saintly figures cross one another. How is love finding those intersections? There are some particular stories which really show Julia's care for the needs and sensitivities of everyone. First is that after a while, she only made her deliveries at night. Right. She realized that the white families she was helping experienced embarrassment for receiving aid from a poor old black woman. So she began doing her deliveries at night so no one would see her, not the neighbors, nor even the recipients of her charity. To her, helping the poor mattered most. She knew this put her at risk since it wasn't exactly safe for a woman, let alone a black woman, to be out by herself at night. But helping the poor mattered most. The risk and personal inconvenience were not important. And she had a special love for children. She did. It was said that she loved children with the intensity found in the saints. She would arrange days in the park for groups of up to 10 children. She would pack a lunch, get the kids together, and bring them on the trolley, joking with the conductor that they were all hers. Also, there was the time when she went to wash the floor for a white couple, the Urquharts. She could tell that they were Catholic, but she saw no children. And when she asked about children, Mrs. Urquhart said that their only child had died and they were not able to have more children. Julia promised her that there would be a little white angel running around the house. I will pray and you will see. And they did see. In fact, the only known photo of Julia is of her holding that child, Marjorie Urquhart, who was born in 1916. Julia had a particular way of referring to praying for people. Right. She'd say, I'll put you in a canoe with a lot of others I pray for. Julia was also always looking out for particular items that people needed. Right. On one occasion, she was seen carrying a mattress on her back because a family needed one. And on another occasion, she was pushing a baby stroller because she'd found a poor family that needed one. So she went out and begged for one and was now delivering it. A Jesuit once found her with a broken doll, and she said she was going to fix it and give it to a child who didn't have a doll. She also asked the girls in one part of the city not to wear out their pretty dresses, but to give them to her before they were too worn so that she could give them to poor girls in other parts of the city so that those girls could look nice at dances. Her devotion to helping others at her own expense, physical and financial, knew no bounds. As she aged, arthritis racked her body, making her move a little more slowly, but she didn't stop. It was a beautiful Friday morning on June 7, 1918, when she took ill while walking to Mass. She went to a friend's house across from the rectory, and her condition worsened quickly. The priests were called, and she was anointed. She was taken to the hospital, but it was too late. She died later that day. And in 1918, Friday, June 7th, was the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. A fitting day for her to die. She, who is known as the most wonderful apostle of the Sacred Heart. 
Before her funeral mass, Julia lay in state in a chapel of the Sacred Heart Parish. She was the first laity to be so honored in the Diocese of Denver. That day, an amazing thing happened. Without anything running in the local paper, without any formal public announcement, people from all over Denver came to file past her casket, to say farewell, and even to ask for her intercession. The line lasted for five hours and was composed of white and black, rich and poor. Everyone knew her and everyone loved her, but the thing that was amazing about it was that almost no one who came expected so many others also to be there. She was so generous and so kind to so many people without being really public about it, without making a fuss. Right. For many, since she did the bulk of her charitable work at night, or hidden in other ways, this was the first time any of them really came to understand just how much she did for so many people. Her funeral mass was a solemn high mass offered by the pastor of Sacred Heart, and the subdeacon was a Jesuit whom Julia had actually cared for when he was a baby. She was laid to rest in the habit of the Franciscan order in Mount Olivet Cemetery. Francis Wayne, a Denver Post reporter who covered Julia's funeral, wrote, She was a woman with a wide-winged spirit. Her legacy included 85 years of worthy living, unselfish devotion, and a habit of giving and sharing herself and her goods. People began praying for her intercession from early on, and that practice has never abated. The cause for Julia Greeley's canonization was formally opened by Archbishop Samuel Aquila in December 2016, and in 2017, her remains were exhumed and transported to the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Denver, where they were received in a solemn ceremony before being interred in a side chapel. This made her the first person to be buried in the Denver Cathedral, which opened in 1912. Many miracles have been attributed to her intercession and are being examined by the Vatican. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. <laughs>